From WXXI News, this is Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Our connection this hour was made just over 15 years ago. That was until last year, the last time that Medicaid rates had been increased in this state. And that meant extended care facilities, nursing homes have been struggling in some places. Yesterday on Connections, Assemblymember Marjorie Burns said she thinks some nursing homes will close if the state doesn't do more to support them. The word we keep hearing is crisis. This hour, we'll talk with a man who owns nearly a dozen nursing homes. He has been upset with the governor telling our colleagues at News 10 that the state really is to blame for this crisis. And he wants to know why the state refuses to pay what he calls a reasonable rate to give nursing homes a chance to survive, to improve care for patients, and to be more stable into the future. The state legislature always has its battles on what to fund and with how much. There's been more unity on this issue than many others that we have surveyed, and yet each year the battle comes down to the final budget, and the governor's office often has a lot to say about whether to include significant increases. But some nursing home executives also have criticized other measures, including a minimum staffing law, and we'll talk about that as well. So what we want to do is sort of survey the landscape, talk about where things stand and what could happen next from various perspectives. With us in studio is Mary Dell Wypik, chair of the Elder Justice Committee of Metro Justice. Mary Dell, welcome back. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for asking me. On the line with us is Assemblymember Jen Lunsford from District Number 135. Assemblymember Lunsford, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me. And welcome to Bob Hurlbut, president of Hurlbut Care Communities. Bob, thanks for being with us. Uh, tell us uh, what Hurlbut Care Communities entails. Well, as of right now, we have 11 nursing homes. We take care of about 695 residents. I have about 800 to 1,000 employees. I'm the third generation, so I've been doing this for about 75 years. And my son, Robert, is now the fourth generation, which I hope he will be able to continue this business as long as it, but we need a, a much larger Medicaid rate because we're just not, we're not making it. So what I want to do is I'm going to ask Bob and Mary Dell to kind of give some opening remarks on how they see the landscape. Then I'll ask the assembly member to, to kind of talk about um, maybe perhaps what she sees from the legislative perspective and where we're going next. And we will work through a lot of these specifics. But, Bob, I will start with you. And, you know, we, we saw the interview you did with News 10. And, um, you know, we, I know you've had some pointed things to say. What is the main concern right now? What does the landscape look like for you? Well, it's not good. I mean, 15 years without a Medicaid rate increase, the question I keep asking is, can anyone live on their salary from 15 years ago? And everyone has said, absolutely not. Well, we're expected to do that, and the state wants five-star quality, which I don't blame them, but they're only willing to pay for a half a star. I mean, our, my costs have gone up 40 to 50% in the last three years. We were 45,000 healthcare workers short before the pandemic. Now we're 65,000 healthcare workers short. The average age of an RN right now is 58. The average age of a teaching RN is around 60. So you do the math. And we used to get a COLA increase, cost of living, 20 years ago at about 3%. So multiply 20 times 3, that's 60% in lost revenues that we have not received. So where are we going? And you can pass any amount of bills that you want about enhanced staffing and minimums. But number one, we don't have the workforce. Number two, the Medicaid rate isn't sufficient. And we want to take care of our elders and senior citizens. And it's very difficult to do so. I'm losing anywhere from 93 to to $100 a day. And there's one other thing I think we need to get cleared up. The state budget is not, does not have a $4 billion deficit. It's actually a $2 billion surplus. So the governor, in her infinite wisdom, wants to take the $2 billion and put it into a rainy day fund, which we already have $19.5 million, according to our controller, DiNapoli, when I just read his report this morning. So what in God's name is wrong with her? She's turning her back on our state's elderly. And... It's, I just don't understand it. So I cannot do what I need to do in order to take care of the elderly based on this budget. So my feeling is, and all of us feel, I want the $510 million put in. I want $300 million put in next year. And we want to get rebased in 2025 to bring our costs up. 
which were supposed to have been done, but that hasn't been done in 30 years. And you consider this governor's from upstate New York and Buffalo. I have no clue what she's thinking. She needs to wake up. And there hasn't been any kind of response from her office since we started this. So I am very concerned about our senior citizens. I mean, they've grown up here. They've raised families. They've paid their taxes. And when they need us most, our governor has turned her back on them. So I'm looking for people like you, Mary Dell, and for you, Assemblyman Jen Lunsford, to say no, enough. Bob, we need to turn this around. Bob, you got 11 facilities. Uh, are you are you considering closure for any of them? I've shut down some of my beds because the Medicaid rate isn't working. I can't take care of these high acuity level residents. We've got a backup in hospitals. I'm on the board of Star Memorial Hospital. We've got a backup of anywhere from 80 to 100 residents sitting in that hospital and other hospitals in Monroe County. And so I've had to shut down. I've closed, temporarily closed some beds. Um, I'm not admitting some high acuity levels because I can't take care of them. And the governor, in her infinite wisdom, again, is, gonna freeze, is proposing to freeze our rates as of January 1st, after this budget is passed. She wants to freeze them. And for not, she's not telling us for how long. So what are we supposed to do? Okay, but, but are you considering actual closure of any facilities? Not right now, but I'm thinking about it. Okay. Uh, Mary Dell Wypick, chair of the Elder Justice Committee of Metro Justice, how do you see the landscape right now? Well, I, I agree that um, there are nursing homes that are providing good care and doing what they should be doing for residents. That will need some increased funding, particularly the not-for-profit nursing homes. And they're... We are able to see um, they they produce cost reports um, to show how they spend money. I want to just start with something. There, uh, the federal nursing home law of 1987 says that every nursing home resident is to be provided the care and quality of life to attain and maintain their highest practicable physical and emotional and social well-being. And that doesn't mean practical in terms of the nursing home providing what's practical for them. It means what is the best care that that um, nursing home can provide the resident so they can do their, uh, the resident can do their best and not lose. So every nursing home is to provide that kind of care. What we've seen in the past, though, is that there are many nursing homes that are not, we're not providing that care. They, um, we're getting ratings of um, the CMS ratings go from one to five, one being uh, well below average and five being well above average. They had low low um, ratings. Their residents were suffering. They didn't have enough staff. People were not provided the care that they needed to get the attention, like needing to use the bathroom and getting an aide to come in a, a timely fashion to to take care of them. Do you think to, that's just because of the state's reimbursement rate? I'm just saying that this is what was happening. Okay. So, the, but there were other nursing homes that getting the same amount of money who were doing much better. Now, my mom was in a nursing home for 13 years, so I saw what happened on a daily basis. And her nursing home was rated around a three, which is average. Um, I didn't have any major complaints about care, but I did see that when there were staffing problems, people didn't get the care they needed in a timely fashion. So that's that's why, you know, we need to look at that all nursing homes are providing good care and they're using the money for the care of the residents. Is it fair to say then that you think reimbursement matters, but that's not the only issue? No, that is not the only issue. Reimbursement matters and we, you know, need to take care of our, our, it's not just elderly people, anybody who's living in a facility. But the facility needs to be accountable for how they're using the money, most of which is public money. It's our tax money. Assemblymember Jen Lunsford, uh, floor is yours. Thank you so much. So, uh, you know, I agree with uh, both of our uh, friends here in that, you know, the reimbursement rates are the foundation of the house. 
Over the last two years, we have seen really unfortunate budgets with regards to care for our elders. I don't know, coming out of COVID, how we can possibly justify the budgets that we've seen that really make our seniors a afterthought. We fought really, really hard last year for a 20% increase, and we were able to get six and a half with a agreement to maybe bring that up to seven and a half. And one of the things we were told was that they didn't believe that they could get a higher increase from the federal government because there needs to be an approval that we are bumping up against our ceiling. I believed at the time that that was not accurate. I continue to believe that that is not accurate. I have heard from a number of experts that they think we have plenty of room between uh, where we are now and that cap. The Medicaid budget is one of the largest portions of our state budget, and I understand looking at what are big spends when you have a budget that is uh, running against spending limits. But we need to take care of our people. We need to take care of our most vulnerable New Yorkers. And to try to save money on the backs of our seniors, I think, is truly unconscionable. Assemblymember, a couple points here before I turn back to Bob Hurl. But you heard Bob say that in reality, the state's got a $2 billion surplus, doesn't have a $4 billion deficit. Is that accurate? I do not think that is accurate. There absolutely is a deficit. But it is right. That number is really fluid. That number in November was different than that number in December is different than that number today. And what we're looking to do is try to figure out ways to shave off some money. And we in the legislature are talking about revenue raisers. I know the governor's not, but we are because we recognize that we need to figure out a way to balance this budget without hurting New Yorkers. Uh, When I look to our rainy day fund, it is quite robust. And over the past several years, I've been wondering why we continue to add to it during a global pandemic, which I think if there were ever a rainy day, this is it. Uh, I think it's really important that we understand that we have a fiduciary duty to the taxpayer, but we also have a moral duty to those who are in our care. All right. And and Assemblymember, you heard Bob say that he wants $510 million in, in this year, another 300 next. Does that make sense to you? And is that doable? Yeah. So uh, that $510 million represents what would be a 16% increase in the Medicaid rate. 80% of our Medicaid beds statewide, or rather 80% of our nursing home beds statewide are Medicaid. So most of our nursing homes are host to a majority of Medicaid uh, residents. If we don't increase the rate on those beds, I know uh, Bob was saying that he's losing upwards of $100 a day. Our not-for-profits have given me numbers anywhere from 160 to 200. What we're doing is ensuring not just closure of beds, but potentially closure of facilities. Right here in Fairport, we had Fairport Baptist, which was a high-performing 100-plus-year-old nursing home go bankrupt following COVID. We need to make sure that we are giving nursing homes every opportunity to provide the best level of care. And that means raising that Medicaid rate. I am advocating for that bridge funding of the 510 million, and then making permanent that 16% Medicaid rate increase into the future with some sort of promise of regular rebasing. Okay. Um, And so, Bob, let me just make sure we hit a couple of points, and then we're going to work through um, more on where this could go next. Why is it that you think the state does have a surplus, Bob? Because it sounds like that's not correct. I mean, the state is dealing with, you know, some constrictions on funding. It doesn't mean it's not it's impossible. You heard the assembly member say there's a path to getting this done. But we're not sitting there with a two billion dollar surplus that, you know, would be easy to sort of solve this problem with. Well, actually, that's not true. You look at the Napoli's report today. It actually said that the state revenues, there is no deficit. If anything, it's flat. But she even admitted in her own report, in her own budget, that she's taken $2 billion to put it into a rainy day fund. Now, why in God's name would you do that when nursing homes are suffering? And going back, you know, to Mary Dell's point, that 87 issue and in, in federal issue of that law, used to, we used to have a Bourne Amendment. And we used to sue over it and win. And then the governors got rid of it because they had to pay up. So I agree with you. And, you know, with Mary Dell and with Jen is things need to turn around. But we can't turn it around if we don't have the money to do it. And you can pass all these bills for staffing that you want, but if you can't pay for them, 
the nursing homes are going to close. And what's going to happen is what's going to go on with these seniors? I mean, the 80-plus population is the fastest growing. What would you like us to do? I mean, I can't see us going into a crystal ball and saying, all right, what are we going to do? Because I'm running out of ideas, and so are my colleagues. And this is a, this affects everybody, for-profits, non-for-profits. I mean, our 11 nursing homes have a great reputation with the state of New York Health Department. I don't have any issues. And so I am more than happy to work with, with you, Mary Dell and Jen, to make sure that the funds we get get directed in the right spot. But we got to have them first. And if we don't have those funds... It's not going to happen. You will see nursing homes close. Well, and you will see backups. Okay. So, and, and just to clarify the money part of this, Assemblymember Lunsford, it sounds like what Bob is saying is well, actually, uh, the, there's a yeah, comptroller report and things are better than uh, the governor has said, and that, you know, Albany has overstated the problem. So let's, let's tie this up. Final thoughts from you on that, and then we'll hit all these other points. Jen Lunsford? I haven't had an opportunity to see the comptroller's report today. I know the 30-day amendments came out, and I've been trying to parse through that. Uh, But I know that um, it would have been really remarkable for us to make up what we were projecting was going to be a $2.6 billion gap by the time we got to this point in time. Um, I'll check those numbers and see if I can get you an answer by the end of the show. Okay. Um, Now, uh, Mary Del Wypik, I know one of the issues that's been important to your organization is minimum staffing. And when mm-hmm. we t- when we talk about staffing, the amount of the levels of care, the quality of care, one thing that has been brought up to us on this program in the last several years is you know, this is Bob Hobart's first time, but some of Bob's colleagues have said staffing is really difficult when when things are as constricted and tight as they are and when you haven't had increases and when you don't feel like you can even breathe financially. But I know that you felt that minimum staffing has been an important target. What do you see there? Um, are you satisfied with the current law? What do you think? Well, the current law, we weren't satisfied with what finally came out in the law because advocates for years have been saying that staffing should be at a level of 4.1 hours per day for each resident. So, And that includes both the nursing staff, direct n- the nursing staff like RNs and LPNs and the nurse aide staff, which is CNAs, Certified Nursing Assistants. That did not get passed into law. Um, It went down to 3.5 hours as a minimum requirement for staffing, which we felt, okay, that's a start. And that includes 1.1 hours of LPNs and RNs and and 2.2 hours of CNAs, per resident, per day. So that's where it is right now. Now, when that went into effect, that went in, they passed that law after 15,000 people died in nursing homes from COVID um, during the pandemic. So in 2021, the legislature passed that law, and, and it was signed by the governor. But it was... Um, it, went, it didn't go into effect for a while because there was a lawsuit against the uh, nursing home laws that were passed, a couple of them. And, um, it, and there was a problem with um, not having—everybody said there was not enough staff available. But now it's in effect, and um, we're hoping that that will help the quality of care that residents receive. Well, Bob Hurlbut, what do you make of that? You know, I I understand where Mary Dell is coming from, and I get it. But COVID, the 15,000 people that died, part of that was Governor Cuomo mandating us to take res- patients from the hospital that had COVID. Mm. And then the state did nothing to supply us with PPE. Matter of fact, that illustrious governor of ours cut our Medicaid rates by 1%. So where are you going? So I was ordering stuff from all over the place, from China to get PPE until the government finally decided to start supplying us with it. And then in 2021 or in 20, two of my nursing homes became COVID-only nursing homes, which I had to get approval from the state health department, and I had to get approval from the governor's office. So if I was doing such a bad job, 
then why did I get those approvals? And I was the only one in, up in Rochester besides Hillhaven. We were the only nursing homes that did it. So these staffing mandates, mm-hmm. you know, I understand, Mary Dell, but you have to work with me on this. We don't have we don't have the staff to do it because they don't exist. And the fact of the matter is the health department, the commissioner, actually declared state of emergency for those two quarters that the bill, the seventy forty five bill, was set up for. And I spent over a hundred hours in my facilities putting together all this stuff of why I couldn't do it. And so did everybody else. The staff don't exist. So, and there's also the governor three years ago came out with a report from Cornell that said there is no correlation between the amount of staff in a nursing home and that whether you have a certain amount or even a larger amount between the hours, there has not been a, a direct correlation in quality of care. Now, obviously, there's a both extreme. Well, I mean, like, but see, Bob, let me just jump in and say, I, I have not seen that report. I don't understand how that makes sense at all. I'm, so, And I'll let Mary Dell respond in a second. You're making the argument that the number of staff has no correlation to quality of care? I'm saying is if you, yeah, there's a report from Cornell that the Governor Cuomo put out that states emphatically that you have to have a minimum amount of staffing. And I don't know what that is. But right now, we can't even meet that. And the fact that the health commissioner has said, we're not going to fine you because we understand that there's a health care crisis in the workforce. Well, I, I, so I'm not arguing against what Mary Dell is saying or wanting. What I'm saying is robots are not going to turn our relatives in bed and feed them because that's not happening. It's not going to happen. We don't have the people. Okay, Mary Del Wypick, and then well, I'll get I'll go over to the yeah. I I do recall that uh, report from Cornell, and uh, but the one that I think is more uh, legitimate, let me say that because it was not biased, was the Attorney General's 2021 report that did say that, and it was it was it looked at the nursing homes and their response to the um, COVID pandemic, and uh, what the what she found or her office found was that. It wasn't the there was a relationship between the number of staff and whether the nursing homes were for profit or not for profit. I mean, there were other things in that report, but those were the two that jumped out to us the most and that the number of covid deaths in nursing homes were underreported. So the the report that you were noting was out before long before the um, AG's report. Okay. Okay. So you're also assuming that the AG's report was correct. So we're going to have a difference of opinion on this because Cornell is as independent as it gets. AG's office, not so much. Okay. A couple of things here, though. Mary Dale, I need to give you a chance to respond to Bob's point that they can't get the staff. The staff don't exist right now. What do you well, think? Well, I, I do know. I mean, you have to, if you have a minimum staffing requirement, it means that instead of having one staff for 10 residents, you are going to be needing closer to one to maybe five residents. It depends how many residents you have, of course, and, and their acuity uh, needs, how, how many types of services they need every day. Um, but, uh yeah, there are fewer people going into the health field uh, than there was previously, but we are training more people. There are people coming down the road, and we can't keep using that as an excuse to providing poor care. Uh, let me get Assemblymember Jen Lunsford on the issue of minimum staffing. Not only because I believe it was the right thing to do, but I spent a decade before I entered office as a personal injury attorney. I handled medical malpractice cases. I handled nursing home abuse cases, and I handled workers' compensation cases. And I think something people don't realize is that the healthcare industry is the number one industry for workplace accidents, and they happen because people are doing what should be two-person assists with one person. You're dealing with patients that have behavioral issues. You're combative. And it is an enormous cost to the industry. Safe staffing, while very difficult for us to achieve with our current 
uh, workforce pipeline and the funding in our nursing homes, it's undoubted that it creates a safer space, not just for patients, but also for staff. That being said, what we're seeing it throughout upstate, this is a, a statewide problem, it's less so downstate, but still there, is nursing homes are having to make a decision between providing quality care with sufficient staffing and admitting as many people as their facility can hold. And that's creating a problem when we're talking about bed closures. We have at the last count, I saw over 900 nursing home beds closed throughout our community. And when I brought that up to the Department of Health in relation to Fairport Baptist, I was told you guys have sufficient beds for your needs. And I was like, they're not online. The governor is constantly talking about bringing beds online and I'm always screaming with who. So you're putting nursing homes in an untenable position to choose between having enough beds open to keep themselves running because every bed that closes is revenue that's not coming in or providing the appropriate level of care to the people that they have. And some nursing homes are doing it. Some nursing homes have closed a lot of beds. They're meeting the staffing ratios, but they're losing hundreds of dollars a day per bed. And that's not sustainable in the long term. This is both Mary and uh, Bob are correct in that they are both coming at it from a different perspective. But where the rubber meets the road is we need enough money to provide enough staff to people to provide quality of care for everyone our community can hold. And right now, beds are closed. That's how this has fallen out. Yeah, I, and, and that's the part that I think makes the most sort of logical sense as I look at data here. It's one thing to say we don't have the money and, and the state hasn't committed the money to the Medicaid re reimbursement rates, the support that would allow for hiring more people, paying them better, making sure that everything is staffed up where you want it. That makes sense to me. And there seems to be pretty significant agreement in a lot of quarters on that. What doesn't make sense, Bob Hurl, but is to hear you point to reports say, well, staffing doesn't actually really matter. But by the way, your own facilities, you're not taking more patients in because you don't have the staff for them. So you're acknowledging, of course, staffing matters. I mean, if, no, wait a minute. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I did not say staffing doesn't matter. Staffing does matter. I said there was no correlation between the report that the AG came out with and the one from Cornell, I think, is more accurate. And Mary Dell and I just have a difference of opinion on this. That's all. Okay. The difference of opinion. Okay. So don't, I, I, don't, I, I hear you. I, I hear you. I, but I, I think. Um, I just didn't want listeners to kind of be left with the impression that there are official reports saying that the level of staffing in nursing homes doesn't make any difference. I mean, I think that there's maybe a question of where are diminishing returns for investment or what's an appropriate level? What does that actually look like? What does, quote unquote, full staff look like? What's the appropriate hours per resident? Those, well, those are all things I think are, are, are definitely worth debating and understanding. Um, well, I think that they're relevant. But for right now, if you don't have the money to do it, Sure. It doesn't make a difference what Mary Dell or Jen or what I want. You can't do it. And the, the fact of the matter is you've got not-for-profit nursing homes. You've got for-profit nursing homes. You've got um, hospital-based nursing homes all screaming. I mean, we're all together singing the same choir, singing off the same notes. We don't have the money. And there's no excuse that this governor can come up with to not give it to the $510 million and the $300 million next year, and they're rebasing. So that's why I say hallelujah to Jen Lunsford. Thank you very much. Keep going. Well, let me get a phone call from John, who is calling from outside Rochester, I think is a nurse. Hi, John. Go ahead. Yeah, hi. I am a nurse. I uh, work for Mr. Hurlbut, actually. And uh, the location we work at is fairly uh, probably on a smaller scale than a lot of the nursing homes in the region. But uh, we do the best we can with the staffing that we have. The people that work here, they care. They, they, we work short sometimes, and I'll just give you a, a real-world example. Uh, when I go in some nights for the shift, I might be the only nurse in the building with 50 patients and two aides. So you want to talk about a ratio, it's pretty simple. But when they talk about the ideal four-to-one ratios and uh, care hours, they're just numbers on paper because they don't really show what 
you have to do on a shift a lot of times. Uh, I don't need five nurses in a building at night for 50 patients that are mostly sleeping. Uh, we're proactive. We, we know these people. We kind of know what to predict sometimes. We do our best. Um, so staffing ratios, I think, are an idealistic dream. And like the nursing home operators having to pay this many people, there's not even enough parking in the parking lot for that many staff if they want to do it that way in some places. The other thing is uh, a lot of places, especially in the Rochester area, are running on agency staff. They hire agencies to fill their buildings for sometimes full-time hours. Now, I believe the state has to find a way to drive these agency staff to becoming staff nurses in buildings, which will save money. The pay rates can be increased slightly, but these agency nurses are making quite a bit more than staff nurses in these buildings. And they get to come and go, make their own hours. You know, sometimes they, they, there's a lot of turnover with that because some of them get DNR'd. They can't return there for one reason or another. Uh, I think it's uh, something the state really needs to focus on is how to get rid of the agency dependency. Um, the, if there's any comments or questions, yeah, I'd well, well, be interested John, to hear, but otherwise I'll take it off the air. But uh, John, let me just ask questions? you. Yeah, let me ask, ask you a quick question, John. And um, and I appreciate you calling in. On a typical day, um, if, if money were no object, if the state was funding at whatever everyone sort of agreed was was needed, so maybe the five ten this year, three hundred million next year, whatever the, the number is. What kind of staffing do you not have that that you feel like you would need as a facility to be where you need to be for the for the residents? Well, I'll tell you one thing too: nursing, whether you're talking about RNs, LPNs, CNAs, are obviously the front line important. But you know what else is important in a building is housekeeping. We there's there's a lot of shortage in housekeeping, and there's you know. And not just our building or Hurlbut's uh, facilities. I believe it's in a lot of places, but like there's there's more to it than just the the amount of CNAs, nurses. Like the building is run by a whole team, um, management. We've got we've got our manager trying to reach out to people they fired recently to come back because they think we need them. And to me, you know. I don't agree with that because people need to people need to be left out if they are causing problems. They've been fired for a reason, and I we I've always said I'd rather work short with dedicated people than have a bunch of you know too many as a crowd, and the crowd just kind of gets in each other's way. Mm, okay, so, so that's that's kind of All right. you know we're not in an emergency room, we're not in a uh, intensive care unit, but we are. We're caring for the elderly, and they they do consume a lot of time. They do take a lot of attention. Um, that's you know. But well, I, yeah, that's, thank you, John. I appreciate. It. John uh, says he works for Hurlbut Care Communities. Bob Hurlbut, president of Hurlbut Care Communities, is on the line with us. Uh, owns eleven different facilities in in our region. Uh, Bob, you want to add to what you heard there from John? Yeah, John. I, I he works the night shift, and um, he's. He's right. We get call-ins. I mean, we're pretty flexible. I've got staff. I don't use any agency, and I don't use um, temporary nurses or uh, travel nurses. All my staff is all my staff. And people like John are exactly the type of employees we want. And he does, he does, he does well. I, I know which nursing home he's in. It does a lot of rehab. We send people home. So I agree. There's too many agency staff, and all they are is a warm body, if that. And they get paid twice as much, and it, and it aggravates everybody. I outlawed agency staff 30 years ago. So thanks again, John, for everything you do. Mary Dell, anything that you want to add there? Well, um, you know, John says he's he works on the night, the night shift, and m- most residents are sleeping, and they don't often require as much care because of that. Um, 
but having staff available during those hours is important. It's it's the time when people are awake and they need care that is, you know, most important. So I guess we have to look at the staffing levels based on the, the time of day. But John touched on one thing. Um, it was that in addition to staffing, other things are important in how money is spent. He mentioned housekeeping. That's very important. The quality of the food, how it comes to people. are Is it hot? Is it cold as it should be? Is, are the, is it served on disposable utensils because and plates because there isn't staff to wash them? Um, are there rec therapists to provide uh, activities to help residents have their best lives? So there's other things that there are other ways that money needs to be spent. And the state is looking at the nursing homes and asking them, okay, how are you spending your money? Not just on staffing, that's very important, but how are you spending the rest of it? Well, Assemblymember Lunsford, you said that um, uh, in our state, you've talked to um, nursing home operators and they're losing $160, $200 a day. Is that right? And Jen, you might be on mute, or that might be, I just want to make sure we can hear it, the Assemblymember. Hmm. Let, let's try to reestablish there, um, and, and we'll do that in a second. Uh, we've been talking to Assemblymember Jen Lunsford from District Number 135. Uh, you just heard Mary Del Wypick, chair of the Elder Justice Committee at Metro Justice. Bob Hurlbut is the president of Hurlbut Care Communities. Um, and, Bob, can you describe for people who want to kind of get a map, a picture, what's the region that, that your facilities are in? Well, we're in Monroe County, and we've got a nursing home in Wayne County. I've got uh, two nursing homes in Livingston County and one in Seneca County. And you said it's been multi-generations, is that right? Yeah, my yes. I am the third. My son, Robert, is the fourth. And he was the administrator during the pandemic at the Hurlbut. And he he went from boot camp to World War I trenches. And getting back to one of Mary Dell's thing about underreporting, we did not underreport. What the issue was, and one of the reasons why Cuomo got in trouble, is because he lied. He didn't want Trump to know how many people actually didn't make it. But when we, we were during this pandemic, and during the when we had the two nursing homes, there's over 300 residents that are alive today because of my staff. And I want to say thank you to all of them. Um, I, we do have the assembly member back on the line with us now. Assembly member Jen Lunsford, you said earlier this hour that um, that you have talked to operators of such facilities that are losing even, so Bob Hurlbut talked about losing $100 a day. You've talked to some that are losing $200 a day. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I've heard that from the uh, not-for-profit nursing homes right here in our own community, as well as operators all across the state. 160 to 200 seems to be about the average, uh, you know, and that's a function of uh, them, you know, working really hard to try to meet those ratios. A lot of our uh, nursing homes here do meet those ratios, but it's because they have an enormous amount of beds that are closed. Uh, another thing that I think uh, the prior caller brought up that's important is that when you're talking about staffing, are you talking about CNAs, RNs, LPNs, like the, the difference there and what we're doing pipeline-wise is really important because you can turn out a new CNA much faster than you can turn out a new RN. Uh, and we're working really hard. Monroe County has a really a wonderful program in connection with MCC to try to help fill that pipeline. Well, I got an email from a listener named Alex uh, who's asking about the difference between profit and for-profit. Assembly member Lunsford, uh, I don't know if you mentioned it earlier, do we know what the breakdown is for-profit versus not-for-profit nursing homes in this state? In terms of percentage? Yeah. I'd say well over. The, the majority are for-profit. And there are huge swaths of our state that only have for-profit nursing homes. You know, I think we all have a preference for not-for-profit health care. You know, there's lots of studies that show that not-for-profit health care pro provides better outcomes. But it's short-sighted to suggest that we could somehow replace our for-profit industry because you'd have many, many counties in this state, uh, rural counties, even here in Monroe, where there aren't enough not-for-profits to take the load of patients we need. So we have to work with our for-profits, many of whom are very high-performing. Hurlbut's a very high-performing quality institution. Being for-profit does not in and of itself make you a poor-performing institution, but disproportionately, the poor-performing institutions are for-profit. There are some really bad actors out there 
that unfortunately give the whole industry a bad name. Well, Alex's email essentially said, he says he's confused. Why are any nursing homes for profit? Um, and again, it sounds like the vast majority in the state are for profit. Bob Hurl, but what would you say to Alex? Well, I, I, it's really difficult to say. I mean, it's, we've been on the third generation. I mean, the nonprofit nursing homes do a great job, but so do the for-profit. And then you've got the county home. I mean, the county home in Monroe County for this past budget year was slated to lose $9 million. Well, I think it's a lot more than that because the last time I checked, they had 172 beds open. So I, it's not really fair to pit one side of the industry against another. And this is why the Hospital Association of New York, NISHVA, NIPA, Leading Age, we're all banded together because we realize that there's a problem. And the problem is we need $510 million, we need another $300 million, and we haven't had an increase in 15 years. It's all about the money. If you don't have the money, you can't do it. And when your costs go up 40 and 50%, what are you going to do? So in answer to them, I'm like, you have a choice, but you're not going to have a choice pretty soon. And the nonprofits... They seem to be doing a little worse than we are, but we're still doing, we're all doing bad. So this, I wouldn't pick a difference between the nonprofits and the for-profits because we all have our issues and there's some really bad not-for-profits too, but that's not why we're here. Okay. Mary Dell, do you agree with that? Um, I just wanted to say something about, um, yeah, there is a range of, um, of quality of care uh, and it isn't just, as you said, not just whether it's for-profit or not-for-profit or government um, nursing homes. But uh, what happened um, after uh, or during COVID when we started looking at nursing homes and why there were so many problems is that the legislature took and um, wrote a law that uh, is the minimum direct resident spending care law saying that regardless of whether a nursing home is not-for-profit or for-profit, they need to spend 70% of their revenue on care of residents and of that 40% on resident-facing staffing, including nursing care and um, therapy care, um, such like I mentioned, um, rec therapists. And that law went into effect because there was a history of poor-performing nursing homes and looking at the numbers and the problems. And that's a very important law because we want, we want, you know, you can make money and nursing homes had made a lot of money over the years, but we want you to provide the best quality care possible for that money, whether it's private pay or Medicaid pay or money that comes from, you know, the private pay comes from a lot of different sources. But that is one of the most important things that came out of out of COVID is that we found that we had to have better laws. Let, let me try to get through as much feedback as we can from listeners for the end of the hour. Jessica in Rochester on the phone next. Hi, Jessica, go ahead. Hi, Evan. Uh, thanks for this uh, topic today. Um, I was wondering um, what the state uh, is doing, if anything, to make this field more attractive to um, new staff. Um, since there is a shortage, um, what are they doing to help the situation? What is who doing specifically is the question, Jessica? Uh, uh, the state. The state. The state. Okay. Assemblymember Jen Lunsford, what would you say to that? Sure. So, I mean, getting these uh, rate increases is essential to that because the best way to entice people into a job is with pay. We have learned people like money. That is a fact of life. And when we are able to provide higher rates to these nursing homes, they can increase their wages. Uh, Another thing that's really important is making sure that we're bringing in the right kinds of people into these jobs for whom direct patient care is a calling. You know, these are tough jobs. And especially when you're looking at CNAs who are, you know, lower uh, wage workers, they can sometimes go to Burger King and make more, never mind like the easier job and the fact that the hours are more predictable and it's, you know, far less wear on their body. You know, we have to compete with 
private operators in completely different fields when you're at the lower end of this wage. So working really hard to make sure that you're bringing in the kinds of candidates who want to do this work because they care about people, paying them what they deserve, and making the training programs accessible. You know, one wonderful thing that uh, the county program does is help with wraparound services like paying for childcare, you know, finding people who are trying to transition to this work and making sure that it supports their lives with transportation. Uh, there is uh, a lot of training programs at our nursing homes. St. Anne's has a wonderful uh, training program where you can come in as a CNA and they will pay you to train you all the way up through LPN and RN. You know, this is a career path for a lot of people. I was able to provide some state funding to support that program a few years ago. Uh, this is a team effort. You, you, we talk a lot about public-private partnerships, and that's what this is. But, Assemblymember, you know, it sounds like there's been a lot of agreement. In fact, Amanda writes in and says, um, it sounds like, Evan, it sounds like Republicans agree, Democrats agree, your guests basically agree. So what is stopping the state from fixing this problem? Um, what is stopping this money from coming through, Assemblymember Lunsford? It costs a lot. It's an enormous amount of money. And we have a lot of competing issues. There are people who think that some issues are more important than others. And when you're talking about big ticket items, $510 million is a big ticket item. A recurring year over year increase of 16% is a lot of money. And it's, I have found challenging with any governor to get them to commit to year over year increases. They'll one shot you all day. But when it comes to committing to paying more on a, a potentially unpredictable basis, that's where they begin to shy away. So, you know, you're, we're talking about the cost. That worked for you, Bob Hurlbut. Well, I totally agree with Jen. I mean, we've got governors that have been crying wolf for years about these budget deficits. And then all of a sudden, the money's there. So why are we getting a 10% decrease in, my, in our Medicaid rates when – at worst, the budget is flush. I still say we have a $2 billion surplus. And she wants to put it in a rainy day fund. There was so, she's also, Jen is also right, several years ago, the state came up with a grant program, which we applied for. We had 12 nurses' aides in some of our homes that became LPNs. And one of the great things was, because a lot of these women are single mothers, so they couldn't afford not to work. So we were able to get this grant, and they could go to school and be paid at the same time. And we sent them to school. We graduated 12 nurses that became LPNs. We need, let's start with the LPN. Because you can always get an RN degree. And all the RN schools, it's four years. Well, we should reduce that to two. In an LPN, you can do it in less than a year. Because I've been having talks with St. John Fisher and some other colleges about trying to do that. And starting with the CNAs, and Jen is absolutely right, they are low-paying. So we're trying to create a career ladder, and we did. And some of those nurses that we graduated as LPNs became RNs, and a few of them are now my director of nursing. So Jen is right. It works. But we got to focus the funds on it. And this governor, not only is her head in the sand, I think it's in the cement. I mean, she just can't. I don't know what she's doing. I, I don't think you're a fan of the governor, as of what I'm getting from no, this hour, Bob. That's what I'm I getting. am not. I, I find it an extreme disappointment to our seniors, and I think everybody else should. All right. Well, let me just ask Mary Dell uh, briefly, and then I'm going to try to squeeze in one more phone call. So about a minute, what do you want to see happen next here, Mary Dell Whitepick? Well, we, we do need to put more value on people who are vulnerable, whether they're um, elders living in nursing homes, people with disabilities, uh, so, and we need to... We do need to provide more funding when it's necessary. But, again, we want accountability and transparency for how that money is spent. And that's going to come forward as the Department of Health audits cost reports that are it's required that the nursing homes will provide. So that's what we think is important. Uh, Michael says, my mother spent the last three years of her life at St. Anne's. Being a CNA is one of the hardest jobs in the world, and they don't even make a living wage in some cases. They deserve to make a lot more money. I'd love to see some elected officials do that job. That is from <laughs> Michael. And David in Pittsburgh, you got to keep it tight. Go ahead, David. Yeah, I'd like to see them open the books to see what the executive salaries are and also the rental they're paying to the owners of the real estate, which are typically in real estate investment trusts. Thank you. 
okay, Bob Hurlbut, thoughts on that? Let's put it this way. If I was in trouble with the health department, I wouldn't be talking to you. I haven't paid taxes in three years because my businesses have not made money. So, I mean, I understand where he's coming from with some of these nursing homes, but my 11 homes, I mean, I'm third generation. I don't have those issues. Okay. Uh, you're, you're losing money in the facilities, but, uh, you know, do you have a salary on the books? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay. And, and you're paid the salary still, right? Barely. Barely. Okay. Um, last thoughts. Uh, Assembly Member Lunsford, you've heard Bob Hurl, but you've heard Mary Dell Wypick. You've heard from a lot of people in this community. 30 seconds. Um, what is a realistic expectation for what's going to happen this year? There's a lot of competition in this budget for big ticket items, and we need to make sure that we're letting the governor know where our priorities are. And that means that we need people who care about this issue and think our nursing homes need this increased rate to call, to email, to let her know that this is a priority. Because unless she hears from the people, she doesn't know. People are calling about education. People are calling about economic development. People are calling about public safety. We need to let them know that this matters. It matters to voters, and it matters right now. I want to thank our guests for making time. Assemblymember Jen Lunsford, District Number 135. Thank you for the time, Assemblymember. Always happy. Thanks to Bob Hurlbut, President of Hurlbut Care Communities. Bob, thanks for making time for the program. Hey, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Mary Del Wypick, Chair of the Elder Justice Committee of Metro Justice. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And these are issues that we are going to keep a beat on. You'll hear more in the weeks to come right here on this program. More connections coming up in a minute.